coming. And also together, isn't it great to gather and to sing praise to the Lord, to remember his coming and to speak of uh, sing a joy. I love that. There's so much to be stoked on at this time of the year. Backyard cricket, that's an important thing to look forward to. Christmas meal, oh, already had one of those. I've got a couple more coming. That is something great to look forward to. Extended family, you know, it's not just me and Anna repeatedly having a Christmas meal. (laughs) You know, presents, you look forward to those. Some people wait until Christmas morning even before they start opening their presents. But they're, they're gift wrapped, maybe with novelty paper, and you look forward to what you might get, and you look forward to seeing what happens when you give, right? And that's a huge part of the joy, the anticipation, the before. Because before, you don't know exactly how something's going to go. You know that the turkey or protein of your choice has been prepared expertly. You've taken time, you've invested, you cook this special meal. But you don't know exactly how good it's going to be. With holidays, you look forward to going away, being on the relaxed timetable. You know, you don't know exactly how the weather's going to go. You don't know exactly what chance encounters you're going to have, who you're going to meet. But you look forward to it. The joy is in the anticipation. And it's totally different after, right? Afterward, you sit there, you've had the Christmas meal, and you find a little, you know, cave-type place to recline and to relax into. After the holiday, you've had that experience, and it becomes a beautiful memory, or maybe just a memory or a unfortunate memory depending you know if you're camping and it's raining and your new son doesn't go to sleep at night time but that anticipation of the before that drives us right it's it puts the idea it puts the event it puts the moment in the very front of our mind I mean I'm sure that lots of us will have been thinking about this Christmas preparation all week it's just sitting there have I done everything all that sort of stuff and it's even, even more sort of marked, I guess, when it comes to the thinking about stages of life. When you're a teenage boy, you are just looking forward to that day that you can get your driver's license. Most of us today take driving utterly for granted. When you're in a dating relationship, you just can't wait to get engaged. That's what you are thinking about. When you're engaged, you can't wait for the great wedding, the most beautiful Instagram-worthy wedding of all time. When you're married, you don't really think about it too much unless you, know, you, unless you take the effort to call it to mind, to think about, wow, it's actually amazing that I can drive anywhere I want. It's amazing that we are in this thing together with me and my wife or you and your, obviously, <laughs> fill in your own reference. <laughs> but it's when you call these things to mind that they become real. If... If you don't call them to mind, they just, they just sit neatly as an idea. And if you haven't got that memory down off the shelf, it just, it just sits there waiting, collecting dust. My wife's brother, Toby, is spending his holidays uh, working in China this year. And he posted a hilarious little snippet from a mall that he had visited. And I'm sure this isn't how all malls in China are. But this was of a hilarious, uh, I guess, attempt at a Western Christmas celebration. It was back from the front of the store. It had sort of a faux grass matting. Uh, It had some sickly looking mannequins with the the sort of American traditional ugly Christmas jumper. Had some sort of dog-sized little reindeer and a background of snowmen. And if we're not deliberate about our celebration of Advent and amongst all of the things that are going on at this time of the year, if we're not deliberate about recognizing Jesus, 
our Christian life, our Christian um, expression of Christmas can end up being like a, this display in the store, just something that just happens in amongst everything else. So let me ask you a question this morning. And I'm going to give you some time to think about it. What does the coming of Jesus, Advent, mean to you this year? See, though we are living in the time after Jesus has come, we can have just as much joy, as just as much excitement when we call to mind that the coming of Jesus has changed the world, that his coming is an historic event of everlasting significance. When we remember what he came to bring us, himself, he came to bring himself to us, mere created people, and to bring us into a living and personal relationship with himself. We can live in anticipation that though he has come, he also comes to us day by day throughout our lives. Is this distracting, by the way? The nation of Israel were a people steeped in anticipation. The story of the Old Testament of the Bible is a story of the amazing history of the Jewish nation, God choosing Israel as his special people, delivering them from slavery through amazing and miraculous means, blessing them, growing them in number, setting them free to live in a lush and a beautiful land that God had promised that they would live in. It's also the story of a chosen people of God stepping out of that relationship with God worshipping other gods and doing their own thing. When they stepped out of walking with God, he would raise up and call out individuals, special people, to become prophets. These people were set apart from the rest of the nation to be used as God's megaphones, to trumpet to the people and to urge them to turn back to living in the way that they were supposed to, to turn back to right relationship with God. A lot of what these prophets brought as messages were harsh corrections, were calling out to kings, saying, you know, you've got to change your way, you've got to reform the way you're governing these people. But they would also bring encouragement as they did so, the good that would come from right living, the good that God had in store for their future. One of these reoccurring messages of encouragement throughout all of the prophets was about this coming of a saviour, a messiah, one who would return them to a free and flourishing life. And as Israel's story, if you, if you know it, it, it didn't sort of end up on a high. The nation shrunk and they found themselves more and more in bondage with less and less freedom. And as this happened, their anticipation for a saviour grew and grew. And this morning, we're going to read one of these prophecies from Uh, a prophet who talked about and spoke about this Messiah more clearly, more concisely, more accurately than any other. And that was the prophet Isaiah. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 7. It says this, Nevertheless, 
There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what is this encouragement about? What is this message that Isaiah is speaking to the nation to encourage them? It starts with three profound images the transformation from light to dark, the celebration of abundance, and the transformation from war and servitude to freedom. The transformation from light to dark is a favorite motif in the library of Scripture, fundamental to communicating the difference between good and evil and the difference between knowing and not knowing. And at Frequency this year, I have been urging our frequency as our Sunday morning ministry for um, intermediate aged and early college. And I have been just going on about how important it is for them to develop a biblical imagination. So we're all going to do that today. And um, we're going to sit in these images for a bit to let them affect our imagination, to let them affect and speak to us. So verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Imagine that. Sit in that image. Have you ever slept at a non-familiar house and you've had to get up in the night? You can't quite remember where the light switch is, so you're sort of going up and down on the wall. You know it's there somewhere. Maybe you're moving the curtains, rearranging the, the decor. When you turn that light on, the gray blobs that you've been seeing become couches, dresses, all of that sort of stuff. You're unfamiliarity is instantly brought, oh, that's right, I'm at this place, that's right, that's how I get to the bathroom, whatever your journey in the night was for. A light has dawned, the hope of a crisp sunrise, the warm feeling you get when you've gotten up early to travel, maybe to beat the traffic, maybe to get up the mountain for the first lift of the day. As you drive, your headlights become less a beam and more just a little tint in front of you. You see animals, you see people, you see color coming into the landscape. The abundance of harvest and victory. Verse 3 says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors dividing their plunder. 
This is an image of people rejoicing in plenty. In the agrarian society that Judah lived in, harvest will have been the greatest celebration of the year. The, the work will have been done. Things are plentiful. It's a time to rest. It's a time to enjoy and celebrate the spoils of your labor. Next, the warriors dividing their plunder. What is this? This, this causes us to imagine the war rations being over, the anxiety and the fear of battle being finished, helping ourselves to the riches of the enemy. The third image of changing from war and servitude to freedom. Verse 5 says, You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. This is an image of total freedom. A people reveling in a peace so total that they set fire to the gears of war. They won't remember being oppressed any longer. They've burned everything with a blood stain on it. Not even a memory of this time will remain. These images together speak to us of full and total victory. Nothing less than the total transformation of the way things are. This mentions Midian's defeat. Midian, the defeat of Midian was a favorite victory story in the Israelite memory. And it's an episode in Judges 7 where God called out a man named Midian, uh, Gideon rhyming, to set out for war with a really large army. But along the way, God kept whittling it down. By the time that they'd reached the battle, there were only 300 of them left. And they laid waste to the entire Midian army. Isaiah is saying that this profound transformation that these images communicate is going to come by an extremely unlikely victory way. Victory means God is going to bring, out this, bring about this victory. And how's he going to do that? He's going to do that through the birth of a child. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So he's saying that this light to dark transformation, this time and season of, of harvest and abundance and of victory, this, this peace so total that all of the means of warring have been destroyed is going to come through this birth of a child who will become a king. And he's also telling us the essence of this transformation. What is that transformation that's coming? Isaiah is telling the people, God is going to be with us. God is going to be with us. How do we know that? What is it about the description of this child that would have encouraged and meant that the people of Israel would have known that God was coming to be with them? Well, there is an alternative potential translation for these names of God. In verse 6, we read um, from the New International Version, 
And if you've been around church for a while, you'll be familiar with these names. You will have heard them before. Describing God as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah's audience would have been around church for a while too. And they will have known that these titles are far too big for one person or any type of person to be able to carry. They will know that this child isn't just a person. That this child is in fact God coming to be in their midst. Scholars suggest that a potential, like a legitimate alternative reading is to see this as one run-on sentence of praise to God about this child. Isaiah describing, so you can, you can say these names of God like this. A wonderful counselor is the mighty God. The everlasting father is a prince of peace. And when this child is described like this by Isaiah, the people will be knowing and understanding, wow, this is God coming to be with us. The Christmas story that we, that we sing about in carols and, and watch in plays is most fully told in Matthew's gospel. And it's also Matthew's gospel that makes clear that Isaiah's prediction happened through the birth of a child in Palestine in the first century. Just at the very start of Jesus' ministry, after he's been baptized and been tempted by the devil, in Matthew 4, he quotes this chapter, verses 1 and 2. He's saying, Jesus is this child. Matthew 10 establishes Jesus as the ruler and judge of the world. And at the very end of his ministry, Matthew communicates the everlasting nature of this, of this reign and coming of this ruler. As he quotes Jesus' promise, surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. The prophets never spoke into a void. They didn't write things down and then just sort of hide them so that they could be discovered by archaeologists or that sort of thing at some stage. They spoke to a people in a circumstance, in a time. And the circumstances into which Isaiah spoke this message of encouragement were particularly fraught. The Jewish nation was split in two. The northern kingdom was allied with another northern neighbor called Aram. And they were attacking Judah, which was the southern king to whom Isaiah was speaking. And they were being attacked, they were attacking Judah because they wanted them to join a three-person a three or a three-nation alliance against the great threat of the day, which was the nation of Assyria. They wanted to defeat Judah and put in a puppet king who would say yes to what they wanted to do. But the king of Judah had said no. And that meant paying significant taxes to Assyria. And in a sense, in a peaceful country, in a beautiful country that we live in, that's almost impossible for us to relate to. But in another sense, the challenges faced by Judah were the same and are the same challenges that we face today. The challenges of fear and uncertainty the challenge of the direction of our life and who to give allegiance to, the challenge of security and money and finances. Uh, this year has been the hardest year of my life so far, really. Um, among, 
heaps of joyful moments. I have had some significant challenges with my health and with, I guess, the direction for my life. And for the first time since I was 12 years old, I found myself unemployed for several months. And throughout this time, Jesus has come to Anna and I again and again to encourage us, to counsel us, to bring peace. Most often this has come through the community that we walk with and live with and their encouragement and their discussions and the way that they have uh, helped us to think things through. But he's also come to us in special ways that have shown us that he truly is a God of personal relationship. One morning, a few weeks ago, I got a call from a friend who lives in Hamilton, who I, we don't see really too often. And he had been praying that morning, and Anna and I had really come strongly to his mind. And so he called up to say, hey, you know, tell us what's going on with you guys. And we were able to share where we were at and what we were going through, and he prayed for us. And the peace of, the peace of Jesus, the peace of Christ came to us through that phone call. Another morning when I was feeling particularly low, uh, a friend called up and said that he'd, got, uh, he'd received a whole lot of uh, a great big payment for some of the work that he'd been doing. And he said, hey, if you guys need it, it's yours for as long as you, as long as you want. And so Jesus came to us through the, the peace and of a friend, the generosity of a friend and the security that that uh, would have offered. And one particularly despondent morning, I was at a coffee place in Lower Hutt and some, uh, a woman who I've never seen before or, or, or since, a kindly older woman, came up to me and said, I've got a message for you. Jesus loves you. And that just really touched me, that in that situation that where I was in, something so simple of a woman coming up and saying that, and she prayed for me a big, loud, public, bold prayer, which was, you know, caused lots of sweating. <laughs> but, but that Jesus would come to us personally in the way that we needed and and at that very low point that he would, through this woman, come to us with encouragement and prayer, just was everything that we needed. And in his timing, Jesus has also come to us with provision. Just last Thursday, I got a short-term project to work on at the start of next year. So he also came to us with the means that we needed. So I share from the end of this story, seeing Jesus having come through and provided for us in all of these different ways. He is good, he knows our need, and he knows what we're going through. Just to, to wrap up, Jesus' coming was a fundamental change in humanity's history. The Lord has come, his rule has begun. He is the light needed in our dark world. And we live in this privileged after that God is with us, the Creator has come and is with us, and he has come to be in the midst of his people. As we read the prophets in the Old Testament, we recognize and remember that this wasn't always the situation that everybody had. This is a privileged access and relationship that we have for God, that we have living in this time. People long to experience this age that we live in. Jesus' coming can be real to us. It can be active in our life. Or this history-changing, world-changing event can just be a neat idea. He comes to us today. He is with us in our circumstances. Not just to lift us out of our circumstances, but to counsel us and to bring peace to us as we're in them. The number one question that we ask or get asked on Christmas morning, I would, I mean, we could, is, 
is, definitive statement is, what did you get, right? What did you get? We asked that of children. We even asked that of adults. Hey, what did you get? And I'm trying to say this morning that that is fundamentally the right question to be asking at Christmas. Not because we earn favors from God, but because everything comes to us as a gift. Isaiah, Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus comes to us as a gift. Forgiveness comes to us as a gift. His peace and counsel comes to us as a gift. And like every gift, it is a gift that has a cost. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' coming into the world, but we know that that isn't the whole story, right? We also know what happened at the end of his life. For us, a light has dawned, because there was a day where God put and subjected his son to total darkness. We can have peace in the midst of every circumstance, because Jesus turned away from peace and walked toward Calvary, toward the cross. He did that for you. He did that for me. A wonderful counselor is the mighty God. The everlasting God is a prince of peace. Let's pray. Father, would you make your coming new and fresh and more alive than we've known it before this Christmas? Would we be able to see you and take a break out of all of the stuff that's going on? Would we be able to notice the significance of your coming and to celebrate that with our families and with our friends? We thank you, Lord, that you come as peace. You are a wonderful counselor. We thank you that you're with us now in our circumstances as they are, Lord. And I pray that for us as a people, anyone here who is needing of peace and needing of counsel and provision, Father, I ask that you would come this Christmas and that you would bring the peace that is needed in the situations, Father, as you can see them. We praise you and we're full of joy that you have come. We live in this privileged time after you have come, but we remember that you're with us as we go and as we live. So we give you thanks together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.